Um, we do work with live animals during the show, so watch out. Okay. <laughs> 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 Wait a minute. And, Let me get uh, this cow out of here. <laughs> Welcome to the Oil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey there, Don. I'm Sam, y'all. Sam. What's shaking, mister? Snafu. Situation normal, all fucked up. Oh, so it's 2020. Yeah, it's 2020. <laughs> I, I mean, that's just the way it is. So let's see. We've got two hurricanes now threatening to merge in the, uh, the, Gulf, uh, the, the Gulf of Mexico. So that's cool. And I hear that we've got a meteor uh, that, or an asteroid that may strike us uh, come election day. Terrific. How cool is that? Well, California's on fire. Well, that's normal. Um, Situation normal. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All fucked up. Yeah, you know, that expression snafu came from World War II. Oh, okay. Did you know that? I knew, I knew it was a military statement uh, or yeah. thing, but yeah, I did and not so, know when. Yeah, something that the guys said all the time. I don't think it was like official. Well, yeah, <laughs> and then it just became not official. Yeah. Gosh, that takes me back to um, oh, I don't remember which movie it was. I only it was Top Gun. I think it might have been uh, the one where you can't handle the truth. Oh, yeah, a few good men. A few good, good men. men. I think it might have been that. Um, but they, 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 there was a a young guy who uh, they put a, a cap on, and it was JAFO, J-A-F-O. What did it stand for? Just another fucking observer. <laughs> JAFO. And well, the point that I'm making here is don't be a JAFO in the meetings, okay? Yeah, that uh, JAFO's like being a fringe dweller. That's it. Just hanging around. Sitting the the back on relapse row. Well, you know, with, uh, but you know, now that we're in video meetings all the time, Zoom meetings, I think, you know what? I think that lady who came up with Lean In, what was her, what's her name? It's become quite popular, the, the expression Lean In. And I think it comes from lots and lots of video conferencing because with Zoom, it seems to me, like when I go to meetings and there's this screen is full of little squares of a bunch of people. <laughs> you're leaning in so close i can see your brain through your nostrils the, uh, the, sam back up it's too I'm, much to take i need to pop this zit <laughs> the i think that what happens is like in when i go to meetings online if i lean back and i'm back here just watching the screen then i'm not in the meeting i'm yeah, not you're not engaged like, yeah. yeah and if i lean into it and i'm like you know i'm close you know i'm really paying attention and i'm like put myself in the meeting it makes That's a really a big good point difference. so what about when you're hanging out in the meeting with your camera off well, that's see, I don't think that's I, that's I, a fringe I think dweller. That's, lean, that's fringe dwelling. Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I totally uh, agree. I think you know, in the bathtub, that's fringe dwelling. <laughs> Unless you lean in, even leaning in, I think you you don't have to put on hard <laughs> pants, but you got to put on soft pants. You got oh my to God. put on something. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, I, you know me, so you know I'm going to go there. And so the, what if you're sitting on the toilet? Do you lean in? <laughs> Maybe that's you know, a good time to have the camera off and mute. That would be Make a good, sure you're muted. You know what? That would be a good time to not be in a meeting. Oh. Well, I mean, it does, it enhances, the, the video meetings do enhance accessibility. So you can that, go to the meeting while you're in the bathroom. Well, that's just wonderful. But, <laughs> but you know, I wish y'all could see Don's face right now. <laughs> but, but in live meetings, 
they used to, old timers used to say, you don't get up and go get a cup of coffee during the meeting. You sit down and pay attention. And uh, the equivalent of that, it's all relaxed with Zoom. But I think that you don't get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of a meeting. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> well, so tell me about the dress code for meetings, because I, I recently uh, loved laughing my ass off at a meme that went around where some school uh, had issued a demand, a command to the students that pajamas are not acceptable for school wear on Zoom. And they were like, well, what are you going to do? Send me home? There, yeah, there was a, <laughs> there's an Oxford house right across the parking lot from a club here. And so some of the guys that are new in recovery, one guy in particular, started coming to the 7 o'clock meeting, early bird meeting, in his pajamas because he just walked across the parking lot and just hey, went to be the glad meeting. he was wearing pajamas. Yeah, it was very, very good. And, you know, he was told, you know what? We get dressed to go to a meeting. This isn't your living room. <laughs> so I think that their dress code with video meetings is like, no, no big deal. Wear whatever you want to wear as long as it's not offensive to other people. But yeah, you, there, ought to wear, you ought to approach the meeting with the, that it's not so casual that you're barely there. You know, Agreed. So you, you really want to be there and be engaged with other people. And so, you know, I think probably you would, you know, you want to wear a shirt. I don't want to wear a shirt, Don. I, I make it a point to this, go to this living room meeting uh, that I, that I'm uh, uh, um, attend on Thursday nights that uh, it's, you know, typically like uh, eight or 12 guys. And I make it a point to let them know every time that I put on clothes just for them. <laughs> well, see, that's very, I put on clothes for y'all today. Yeah. That's very mature of you. <laughs> We, ha we have, we got to bring our guest in. Oh yeah. She's like champing at the bit here to get into this she's, conversation. She's all dressed up. <laughs> she is. You look fabulous. Hi, who are you? Hi, I'm Catherine. Hey, Catherine. I'm so yeah. glad you joined us today. You do look fabulous too. Oh, I do what I can. Catherine, are you an alcoholic? In a big way. Yes, sir. I just... <laughs> No, let's drop the sir. <laughs> I know I'm old, but let's, let's drop the sir. Yeah, go, go for Mr. Don. Mr. Don. <laughs> <laughs> so, Catherine, when did you get sober? Uh, this time I got sober July 14th in uh, 2016. 26th, but you said first time. No, yes. this time. This, this, this time, didn't you? Yeah, this this time. time, yes. It's taken me 20 years to get four years. No kidding. It's the truth. Well, I don't know why you would kid about that. It's, it's actually really serious. What, what happened the last time, that, I mean, this last time, so four years ago, that yes. you got sober inside? What was different inside of you? that enabled you to surrender to this? Um, I thought seriously for the first time that I would die. And so I just crawled into uh, an AA meeting and asked for help for the first time. I'd never ever asked for help in the prior attempts, I would say. Why did you go if you weren't asking for help? What were you going for? Um, to get my driver's license back, um, to maybe um, stay sober a, a little while like you guys. But um, deep down, I really thought I was a hopeless case, you know. Oh. Yeah. What's that line in the big book that? It's the only line in the big book that uh, really irritates me. Must be in Two Wives. No, it's not in Two Wives. <laughs> I mean, I don't like I don't like a lot of the language in Two Wives, but it's not as 
this I th- have heard so many people use as an excuse, which is some of us are constitutionally incapable, incapable of being honest. honest with ourselves. Yes. Let me thump that book real quick. That's good work. <laughs> because I kind of use that in my mind a little bit. I was going, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I can't be. And I've had twice I've had sponsees or not sponsees, but other people that are new in the program talking to them. And and they have actually said that I think I'm constitutionally incapable of being honest. And I went, no, you're not. You're not willing to be honest. Hmm. You know, and if you turn it to back to willingness, you can search inside of yourself for willingness. But if you know, there's a point there, Don. But I was going to say, if you're constitutionally incapable, well, then you just go, uh, I, there's nothing I can do. But, and I, this part I can't quote, but um, their chances are less than average. What I want to point out on that is average is 50%. And so there are people who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves who gets over? Okay. okay. There are I'll people go with that, that. Do. I'll go along with that. But you don't need to be asking people to define that for themselves. I think what, what really worked for me was constantly, like one time I was, uh, I was big on courage when I first came in. It took a lot of courage to get sober. And Fred T., who was this old timer that would cut your head off at the neckline, well, you can't drink then. <laughs> but it, always what he said was there's a real element of truth in it. And he said, you know, courage has a moral element to it. Like you need to have courage to get sober. What, you, what I think the book says what you need is willingness. And you can always ask your higher power for help, for willingness there's always some deeper place to go to find willingness because that is a choice. Finding that is the answer. Mm-hmm. Well, Catherine, while I, I have a feeling that you are not constitutionally incapable of being honest with yourself, um, <laughs> I would, I would absolutely note that, you know, you, you've been around for 20 years. You've, you've yeah. done this. You've, you've been in this program in this fellowship for 20 years. Yes. Um, there's some willingness there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what kept you around AA until you were ready? Um, well, you know, you guys kept telling me to come back. Um, even when I would show up to our meetings drunk and you would get me a cup of coffee and I would knock it over and you would help me clean it up and someone would bring me another cup just kind of halfway full in case (laughs) I spilled that and um, keep coming back honey keep coming back Catherine just the kindness and the love Um, I never ever had anyone in a bar ask me to come back you know I don't know Sam I just I white knuckled it um, because I had I guess six and a half years of sobriety. That was my longest term uh, at one point, but I white knuckled it the whole time. I thought about drinking every day. I still don't know why my sobriety was so hard during that time, but um, perhaps I wasn't living right. Were you going um, to meetings during that time? Six years is a long time. Yeah, it's that's some solid sobriety, isn't it? Um, but uh, I was going to a few but um, I had a farm and um, I, I got married to someone that I did not love and um, just kind of, I don't know. I don't think you can work an honest AA program and be living a double life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I would um, say it's still, I mean, the, one of our goals, the, uh, the, the end of, you were, of, of the steps, we're talking about practicing these principles in all our affairs. In all of our affairs. Exactly. Yeah. So I didn't know who I really was or, you know, um, what I wanted. And 
Um, so unfortunately, I lost everything. I lost my farm. I lost that marriage. Um, I you lost literally everything. lost the farm. I lost the farm, Mr. Don. And let, and, let and me this was, tell and this you. Was, and you were sober when this happened. Um, I started uh, drinking uh, when I was when I was losing my farm, Sam. Yeah, okay. start st started drinking, and you know the husband was out, and then I had this farm that was in bankruptcy, and I had to sell you know each each pig and and each baby donkey and each goat and each horse, and you know that was uh, pretty that was pretty difficult. Um, you know, that had been my dream to have a farm and, you know, ride my own horses and, you know, uh, teach children to ride. But, um, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, be drinking and, and, uh, and have your dreams. You, so you started drinking again. You, yes. you had, six years of sobriety and then you started drinking again. I and did. one of the things that we get from the amazing thing that we get that is counterintuitive from living sober is that we can match calamity with serenity through working the steps. Yeah. But the calamity came and it wasn't in place for you. What, what was the difference for somebody who's like going, listening, who might be, you know, going, well, because how do I know when I'm really doing it? I'll bet you thought like you were doing AA. Yes? Perhaps. Uh, may maybe I did, Don. Um, but I can tell you now, my sobriety now, there is so much peace. And... Um, I know who I am and what I want and, you know, where I'm going. I don't have too much fear or I, I relapse doesn't, isn't always in the back of my mind, you know, it's still, you know, not that I'm perfect. Believe me, I still have uh, what my sponsor calls a thought of a thought, you know? Oh Yeah. You know, like we all do. I, I what's do. A, what's like, a thought of a thought? A thought of a thought is like, you know, you, you might be out at a restaurant with your family or your partner and, and somebody's drinking, you know, Cosmopolitans and you're like, it's pink. It's so cute. You know, but you don't really, you know, nurse, bartender, you know, order yourself one by any means. You just, you know, admire the, the fruity pink cocktail you know, that the blonde's having on the right. So, yeah, I refer Why to that are you as calling the nurse. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's later. <laughs> nurse. <laughs> Remember that Nicholas Cage did that in leaving Las Vegas. That's what he called all the bartenders. Uh, nurse. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. I love it. You know, I talk about that, that thought of a thought for me is um, I have, I'm powerless over the thought of taking a drink popping into my mind. Yes. I have, I have access to power in the next thought, which yes. is that choice, choosing not to order it, choosing yes. to do something else. That's it. Sam. Um, I, I, that's when you said thought of a thought, I knew where you were going with that. Yeah. I want to say something else though, that I just uh, noted about you when you were talking about, you know, who you are uh, oh. and, and, and all of that that you just said was the AA is full of, of contradictions. Surrender to win is one of those, um, that type of thing. What I just saw in you speaking about yourself and where you are in your recovery today and, and, and what you know and what you believe was humility and confidence. Humility and confidence don't seem like they should be in the same person. Wow. But that's the type of thing that we get. And I, I, I get that that's the difference that you're experiencing today with how you are living your recovery rather than where you were when you were white knuckling it. I can't imagine white knuckling for six years. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. But thank you for noticing that. And I, I, what, a, what a killer combo. I like that. Yeah. So how do you get that? 
Catherine. How do I get, I know my insides need to match my outsides. It, it is living honestly, and it is taking an, being, taking an honest look at myself and my behavior and being willing to go, you know, that, that I was wrong about that. I need to fix that, you know, something that yeah. I did for, you know, and if I yelled at someone or something and it was wrong and inappropriate, then right. I need to be willing to go, unlike the way I, what I used to do is time will make it go away. <laughs> They'll forget that I did that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally, I so relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> but living in sobriety, there's the inventory and, and you know, every day every, at the end of it says at the end of every night, you know, I need to look at, at what my day was like. And is there anything where I messed up? What do I need to do? So yeah, how do you get that? specifically when you came in this last time, what do you think was like the, one of the first things that you did to get you on that path? Oh, well, I'll tell you, Don, for me, it was holding on to my sponsor by her bra straps. I followed that woman everywhere she went and did everything she told me to do. Um, because I didn't want to die. I, I was certain that if I would continue, you know, if I would go back out one more time, that it would be worse than losing a farm, that, it, that, that I would lose my life. And for some reason, I don't know how, but my little sponsor told me that I was worth something, that my life had value, and that this was my chance. And um, she used to give me homework. And I said, okay, Renee, I'll do anything you want me to do, but nothing social. I don't want to be around human beings. No, no, social. <laughs> no, 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 no people. Uh -huh. And, you know, she would crack up. But one day I, I, I forgot she was coming over and she came over to my little apartment. Sam, you remember my little apartment you used to come over and fix my computer when I was broke. I do. And yes. And um, I, I forgot she was coming. I had two different socks on. My hair looked like Tina Turner on crack. I mean, I looked horrible. And I opened the door and in comes my little sponsor. And she said, gosh, Catherine, let's open some windows. And she started opening the, the shades and the blinds. And I was kind of depressed, you know, because I kept asking that question, you know, when am I going to get happy? You know, and she said, guess what your homework is today, my dear. And I said, anything but and she said, you're going to go to a meeting. And if anybody asks you to go to coffee or if somebody's going to a pancake house or somebody's going to uh, a Mexican restaurant, guess who's going with them? And I always did my homework because I thought if I didn't do my homework, I would get drunk and die. So I went, I was like, can I follow somebody, please? I was not happy about socializing, but I went and it was the best thing that could have happened to me, you guys, because I heard someone talk about how their, they had an ankle bracelet on and how their probation officer was so cool and encouraging and went to watch them pick up their chips. And I was like, probation. And I was looking for, for work, for something to do, you know, and that's kind of, I, I came home, called Sam to fix my computer, you know, went to college you know, and I uh, started putting ankle bracelets on for probation and parole and then moved over to the police department. And it's a big joke in my family. She went from riding in the back to riding in the front. You know, <laughs> way to what, go, Catherine. What, I don't understand. What, what's the work? What job are you doing? Well, I was um, working for probation and parole, what I had heard in a conversation at that Mexican restaurant, mm. you know, that I did my homework by going and listening to, to my kind and, and actually talking to people and finding out how they're growing and how they're living wow. and what they're doing with their sobriety instead of being holed up in a stuffy apartment with two different socks on, not doing a damn thing with my sobriety. You, know, you said 
you said yeah. two things there that are just amazing. So first of all, when I was drunk, my, my home was a cave. Yes. And when I got sober, I never want to live in a cave again. I want sunlight coming in. The blinds and curtains are open as much as possible. Um, and then the other thing, you can't get to know people in a meeting. You just can't do it. It's the meeting after the meeting or the meeting before the meeting, but especially going to coffee or a meal and hanging out with people for an hour or so after the meeting where you yeah. actually get to know them. And yes. that's where you get to see how they're practicing these principles in all their affairs. It's not a share in a meeting. You cannot get to know somebody by what they share in a meeting. You can get a glimpse, but you can't get to know them. I'm it's so true. glad you did your homework. Me too. <laughs> I was like, check, please. I'm going to be a, a great citizen now. <laughs> you know? And you got that job. Yes, sir. I did. And, cool. and, I, and, I, and I loved it for, you know, but I, I have to tell you guys, I just had to medically resign from the police department because I got diagnosed with a fatal heart condition called cardiomyopathy. Oh. And I have a pacemaker in my, in my chest and I have to take a lot of medicine and um, kind of makes me walk kind of funny and talk kind of funny sometimes. But um, I go to Duke a lot and um, you know, to get checked on, but that I thought, wow, what happens now? I, I got sober. I did my homework. I found my purpose. And now they tell me that I'm, I've got a really heart, a serious heart condition and, and I might die. So what do I do with, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. What, what do I do now? Do I go to another Mexican restaurant and hope somebody talks about what to do when you have a pacemaker? You know, so you guys, this has been a really hard year for me. I've, I've cried a lot and, you know, like why this happened to me, sit on the pity pot. But you, you, you guys told me, you know, don't do that. Pour me, pour me, pour me another drink. You know, there's lots of people that have pacemakers and there's lots of people that have health problems and they stay sober. You got, you guys showed me that you can go through a divorce. You can go through health problems. You can lose a child. You can lose a spouse and still not drink. It's so I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to you and I'm, I'm just, you you, know, you'll find, you'll find a, the way I had yeah. a series of strokes and that's, I know what you mean with taking drugs that made me drugged. Yes. And uh, there was a, there was a, I spent a year lying on the sofa because <clears throat> I, I just couldn't fight through the drugs. We were trying to find a drug I could tr tolerate. Yes. And I had to go through a bunch of them to, to get there. So, you know, it just because we're sober doesn't mean that life stops. I mean, and, yeah. but what it is is we have a way of like accepting we've got to accept the things we can't change and find where we can what we can do when we can you know there's a period of yeah. time i needed to lay on i needed to lay on the sofa yes and not i couldn't do any i, I got to a meeting a couple times a week but um i was not very very i didn't feel very useful and all but it was like i i it really hit me that life is one day at a time indeed once you get to a place where there's a realization that, you know, death is real for me, one day at a time is actually takes on a whole new glow because the truth of the matter is it is always one day at a time and we never know what's going to happen to us. Yes, it's true. It is. I, I would note that I can get knocked off balance now. I, my balance is pretty good in walking through life, but I can get knocked off balance. Uh, you know, I went through uh, a period where I was in the hospital with that ruptured appendix and, and the subsequent infection and all that, uh, which was a very strong and easily learned lesson 
of powerlessness. Um, there was absolutely nothing I could do except trust myself in the care of others, in the care of my higher power through other people. And you couldn't really see the end of it. Uh, not at all. And then my mother died unexpectedly this year. Um, and, and, you know, those types of things can knock us off balance. Yes. Uh, but, and this is the cool thing. And so I've got a mental image of a balance beam that I'm walking. I also have a safety net. I have tools. Those would be like, the, let's call it a tight wire that I'm walking instead. Um, I've got the, the, ba- the, the pole to help me balance. Those are the tools. Those are my connection to, to my higher power, uh, the, the, the prayer, the talking with a sponsor and things like that, doing the things that I've learned in recovery. But I also have this huge, awesome net and it's the fellowship. It's the connection with people that I have made in these rooms and the connection. And this is the cool thing. The connection that I can make with people in these rooms simply because we all have this same thing in common. We know where we're, where we're starting from. We got common ground already. So I can have a connection with another member of AA who I've never met and they can still be that safety net. Yes, that's good, Sam. Catherine, I want to know, you were talking about making your insides match your outsides, integrity, living honestly. Can you give an example of a time that you were working one of the steps or something where this became very real to you? Don, I, I think it would have to be um, actually an actual incident. Um, I because I had worked through the steps fairly quickly because my sponsor thought it was very important that she move me at a at a rapid speed, and so I don't think I was on any one step, but I was going through the Dunkin' Donuts drive-through, and I and I asked them, uh, I bought the, 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 the pound with the beans in it, like they weren't ground. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, hi, could you ground these for me? And they said, no, you know, we can't, we can't ground those. We don't know where they came from. And, you know, and I was like, but, 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 you know, and the, all this self-entitlement, I threw that bag of coffee at the Dunkin' Donuts lady, sober, through the window. Wow. Can you believe that? I was a Absolutely. Jerk. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I was a freaking jerk. And, uh, you know, I had to tell my sponsor about it. And she was like, well, Catherine, you know, um, there, there's something's off balance here, you know. And, um, you know. We, we that don't, balance we, beam. We don't act like that. <laughs> You know, that's, that's drunk behavior. That's not sober behavior. And so I guess, Don, to answer your question, and I hope that that did, that was just a perfect example of what I did not want to be and what I, who I did not want to be. You know, I might as well have been drinking, you know, um, treating that woman like that. What, who knows what she went through that day? You know, and, and she gets a, a, a bag of coffee thrown at her stomach through a drive through window by a crazy, sober blonde. I could have got shot, you know, so um, it just it just hurt me that I would treat a human being like that sober. So it's just very important now that that I'm kind and that I live my life the best I can for as, as long as I have. Did you, t- mm. did you talk to your sponsor about that immediately after you'd done it? Yes, I did. I'm curious. So, cause I have a similar story. Um, <laughs> um, how quickly after you did that, did you feel shit? Oh, Oh my gosh. Right, right away, Sam. Right. I mean, I mean, just pulling away, you know, thinking you are lower than shit, you know, just, I can, I can be, you know, I can beat myself up so much better than anyone else can. Oh yeah. Oh, you yeah. know? And I just, I, I was just like, I'm nothing. I, I'm nothing. I, 
I so get, I'm not going to give the whole story of, of my experience with this, but I had one where I took a, uh, a, a, a blender that had died uh, while I was using it. Yes. Um, so I took this to Walmart late at night with the carafe full of the stuff that I was blending. Cause I was yes. just going to like, y'all can keep the carafe from the new one. I just want the base. And I walked in frustrated and dude said, we're not taking returns after 7 PM. And I just threw everything down on the floor. The carafe shattered, the stuff went everywhere. And I turned around and walked out. And before I got out of the parking lot, I was, I felt like shit. I was like, yeah. I, God, I can't believe I did that. Yes. Yes. I mean, we, we can't work a, a good program and be shitty people. I mean, not that oh, we're saying. Let's, let's embroider that. Let's <laughs> embroider that. We can't work a good program and be shitty people. Y'all just don't be shitty. <laughs> is that too much? To ask? It is hard. It's hard to not be shitty. Yeah, but it is. Let me ask the two of you. Did you make amends for that? Yes. No. You did? Yeah. I'll bet it was the amends that made the that so crucial to you, Catherine, that you couldn't do that again. That you, I mean, that made when I've made amends for certain behavior, it's like I don't want to do that again because I don't want to make amends again. I know, I know. Well, that Dunkin' Donuts is right down the street from my house, so I purposely go there, and I am like the super sweetest honey, sugary baby. I mean, you know, I just am so, so, I'm a lady and I thank them. Even if they screw up my order, you know, I just, that's what I, and that, that, that manager's not there anymore. She probably quit the night she got hit in the stomach with a bag of beans, but I go there and I, I act like you people have taught me to. So. That's great. I stopped going to Walmart. <laughs> Maybe it'll it go easy. away. Maybe it'll go away, Sam. <laughs> I, know go to, you... I go to Target where you pay a higher price for not going to Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you have made amends before, Sam. For oh, absolutely. Baby. Absolutely. In this case, it would have been, uh, quite frankly, it would have been weird for me to go and make amends to Walmart for throwing the, the carafe down on the ground. Nobody um, would know what you're talking about. Exactly. I mean, so the, the, the amends for that is that I, I continue to grow and I have used that story many times over the years to help other people. Absolutely. Well, we want to be able to help some other people with questions that come in for the old timer. So hang on, Catherine. Okay. I told you there were live animals. Wait, what? This is not a question for the old timer. This what? is, what is, what is this the owl has brought us? Oh my God, Don. Yeah. As of this moment, the Boiled Owl has over 100,000 plays. Woohoo! Yeah! Wowie zowie! That is nuts. 100,784 episodes of The Boiled Owl have been played. Wow. That's just crazy nuts. Thank you, people. <laughs> Thank you so much. We We're had no clue it was going to be anything like that. <laughs> We're um, just sitting around in our living rooms. <laughs> Sometimes no wearing way. clothes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I'll start to dress up. <laughs> Don's going to be in a top hat next time. <laughs> He's got one. Um, <laughs> all right. So it is time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's yeah. what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober. Shammy. It's still one day at the time. <laughs> you can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Joe via the internet. 
Joe, thanks for listening. We appreciate you sending that in and the nice little note you sent too. Joe writes, what do you think is the most important part of your daily recovery or daily routine? Wow, what a question. Yeah, you would think that there is a most important part, but I don't think there is a most important part. I think I've got to do all the parts. I guess there's some parts that maybe are not as important as others. Like maybe what would it be? Could it be talking to other alcohol? No, talking to other alcoholics <laughs> is really an essential part of my recovery every day that I talk to another alcoholic, but perhaps the morning prayer and meditation I've tried for years and years to do that on a daily basis. I think it's been about the last five years. I've, been able to do it every day. I got a really long run with that. Starting out the day with admitting that I'm not the one in control is really important. But I don't know if that's the most important part because also going to meetings. I mean, during um, quarantines, I've been go you know going to a meeting almost every day. In fact, I started that uh, that meeting shivering denizens in c23.org. And it was seven days a week for the longest time. Now I've gone down to five days a week because my wife started complaining about being an AA widow, which <laughs> was, is, was reasonable. I was really focused on AA as just like I was, and just like I want to say needed to be when I first got sober. Are you an enthusiast? <laughs> Very much. And it's also easy to become obsessed with AA, mm -hmm. but I needed to be obsessed with it in the first year at just as much as I could be because I had to change, you know, I, you don't have to change everything, but I had to be willing you to have change to be willing it. to yeah, <laughs> change everything. And I had no idea what, what was important. So I had to do it all and I had to do it all to stay sane. But now with, with the quarantine, and with the threat of this virus, which I'm, is a real threat to me at my age, it has helped me to go to a meeting on what. Well, so now I'm going to six days a week. So I, what's, that's, that's really important because I, even though it, it, the situation's normal, all fucked up, I'm okay with it. You know, really, I'm okay at this moment. I'm okay right now. So I, I, don't, I don't stay in that place unless I do all the parts of AA. Gotcha. So, uh, Catherine, what do you think is the most important part of your daily recovery, your daily routine? Oh, th that's such a good question. Um, for me personally, it's a simple thank you to the universe. And I, I don't miss that. I haven't missed that in four years that I've been off the sauce. I say thank you for my life. Thank you that I'm not shaking and running down to the local store, you know, to get a couple 40s for breakfast. Thank you that I'm sitting here with a roof over my head and a hot cup of coffee and I'm sober. So to me, that's the most important is thank you. Thank you. Gratitude. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, for me, uh, if I were going to give a one word answer, it, it's willingness. Um, you know, my, the most important part of my daily recovery, my daily routine is, is having willingness. Um, it starts for me first thing in the morning. Um, I hit my knees uh, when I, I don't, I don't even get out of bed. I slide out of bed to my knees and I start off with a third step prayer and being an atheist, that's just weird. Right. Um, but that's what I do. And it's what I've done since I started over in 2012. It is a moment at the very start of my day of me, not just being, but showing willingness to do what I need to do today to stay sober and hopefully be a, a nice person. You know, don't be shitty. Uh, <laughs> you can't work a good program and be shitty. 
nope. Um, and so the the willingness is that that part, and and for me, uh, it shows up throughout the day uh, in those moments when I have an awareness of a moment of uh, where I'm grateful for something, and I'm willing to like be grateful in that moment or a moment when I have screwed up and I need to, to address that or a, uh, a moment of acceptance. Oh my God, willing to ex- willingness to accept something. Um, so for me, I would, I would have to say that, you know, it starts with me hitting my knees first thing in the morning uh, to show my willingness and those moments throughout the day, uh, where I can uh, show my willingness, not in my, I can act on my willingness, not just be willing. I got a thumbs up from Catherine. <laughs> you know, that gratitude. So there's humility. I'm hearing you talking about humility, Sam. No, I, that's, I, I, I am. The, I'm the humblest person you've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) But what you're talking about is the humility to the, to surrender to this thing that you don't understand how it works, but you're going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's helped you stay sober. And, you know, you've been in and out too, had trouble Mm at different points. So that's humility to be the humility to admit that I don't have control of the world and have the answers. That's really important. That's the kind of the path for all the other stuff. But Catherine, gratitude has been like the biggest thing for me in the last three or four years, because my natural tendency is to find fault with the world and all the people in it. And I, it's very easy for me to point out what's going wrong. Yeah. On a day, you know, on a, on a moment by moment basis, like right now, if only Sam would act right, then this, you know, yeah, but you could, you you pretty much need to accept that that's not going to (laughs) happen. That's what I'm, thank goodness for the program. But, (laughs) but the point I'm making is that I'm like, it's built into me to find fault. Mm -hmm. It's the way I'm made. I don't know. I say I got it from my dad. It might be human. I don't know what it is, but um, he was really good at it though. Well, you know, I mean, so I went uh, out with, uh, with Greg yesterday, we decided we were going to go shopping. So we drove like an hour and a half to go to an Ikea that when we got there, there was no parking and this place was huge. And we were like, um, yeah, no, we're not doing this. And so we decided to go to the outlet malls near Palm Springs. And uh, so we stopped there as an outdoor shopping center and all that. And there were tons of people there wearing masks. And it was fantastic. Now I did not thank a single person for wearing a mask but I sure as hell called out two guys who weren't wearing masks. I am not accepting during these, these, this time of crisis in this world, in this country, especially since we're so entitled that we won't even wear a fucking mask. I am judgy. I am not accepting. And it really does show up. And the thing is my calling them out. Yeah. Maybe, maybe shaming them is going to get them to put on a mask. Probably not. But you know what it did? It put me in a bad mood. It ruined part of my day. Yeah. Well, so what's the opposite of finding fault is gratitude. Doing the gratitude list has been uh, something that developed uh, with me with one of my sponsees of sending a text message of gratitude list because I've been doing I've been doing it for, as a prayer for years, but it was hard to do it consistently. I would forget. So he started sending me the list every day. And he was like relentless about it. He did a, he did a morning prayer and meditation routine that, that he was absolutely tied to for about six months. And I got a gratitude list from him every day, which reminded me to send him mine to his. And that's part of what cemented this thing in me, I think, to, hmm. to start the day that way. Having that gratitude list to do every single day has taught me during the daytime to go, oh, I'm putting that on my gratitude list 
Oh yeah, tomorrow. to have your have be on the lookout for what you're going to put on your list. So what's happening is I'm living in gratitude. I'm looking for places to be grateful, which is the opposite of looking for what's wrong with the world, which right. is what I'm is the natural. That's how I'm wired. Yeah. Wow. I love it. All right, I'll start doing a damn gratitude list. My <laughs> God, next next thing you know, the next episode of the Boiled Owl is going to be a gratitude meeting. Oh, please, no. (laughs) I always, I always like, it's like something inside of me breaks when a meeting. So let's have, let's talk about gratitude. And I go, oh, no. About 15 minutes in, it's like, well, well, it's a pretty good meeting. This is good. I'm grateful. Yeah, I am grateful. I, I don't know. You know, we're recalcitrant. We're in, what is it? We're in full flight from reality. And <laughs> I, I think it's, uh, it's all that, uh, that business of, of we never grew up. Hmm. Although I've got 17 years in the rooms. I've got 17 years of recovery. And I've done a lot of growing up in this time. You know, it's one of those things talking with my new sponsor. I, I absolutely love this thing. I am not the man. I am not the boy who walked into these rooms. Um, I have grown a lot and I will humbly claim my progress. I am not who I was. No. Well, the, the boy you were when you walked in drank and the man you are now, if you were still that boy would drink again. Mm-hmm. So that change is now it's time for a gratitude meeting. Catherine, I'm grateful that you came today. I am Thank too. Thank you. Thanks guys. Story. Thanks so oh. much for joining us. Yes. It, it was so much fun. I appreciate both of you. Love you to pieces lady. <laughs> <laughs> That's a drunk owl. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. all roadrunners today really yes this is not the first time we've seen them but they are so cool dang how big are they let's see they're kind of big aren't they no they're not terribly big uh the body i mean they've got a long neck long neck long tail yeah probably 12 to 15 inches from from crest they've got a cool crest on them yeah oh my god and and they can they can raise it like a cockatiel You look at them and you totally get, especially after the Jurassic Park movies where they had like the velociraptors and the other dinosaurs that ran around on two feet, you totally get that vibe of like, this was a dinosaur. This is wow. one of those, yeah. yeah. Like and a pelican. the cool thing, they make the same noise as the Roadrunner on the cartoon. No. Yes, it blew my mind. We heard it and it's that, I can't do it. Meep, meep. No, not the meet meat. The the that is that the sound of their feet? You mean? No, that's their call. Today in orthonology.